Today we are uh, continuing in through our series on, uh, or kind of walking through uh, the eight axioms that I had mentioned last week. Um, if you did not, if you weren't with us last week, there's still some little cards back there uh, on the top of the or on the top of the sound booth that have uh, those axioms uh, listed in the notes from last week. Uh, and we'll talk about these as we go through. But last week we talked about God is love, so it's all about love. And then this week we are on uh, God is always present and at work. Uh, if you go to Nashville and you drive uh, kind of the way I would do it as a child, it's, there's more direct ways from here. Uh, but if you drive about an hour or so east of Nashville on I-40, uh, you don't get too far outside of the greater Nashville area. And as it has continued to grow, it's not as far as it used to be. Uh, but you, you get outside of Nashville and it's not long before you start gaining some elevation. And as you gain that elevation, uh, there is a geological feature uh, in Tennessee uh, that I grew up and it's, it's once you get into Cookville, you are fully there. Uh, and some of you have, have heard about it because we've grown up in the South. Uh, but that geological feature is called the Cumberland Plateau. Now, I, I didn't know this till this week, till I Googled it. But if you Googled Cumberland Plateau, uh, it's actually much, much larger, larger than I thought. I just thought like, hey, it's this hill that is flat once you get to Cookville. Uh, but it actually uh, runs almost all the way to Knoxville, runs down to Chattanooga, and then runs into that little corner of Alabama that we grab uh, when you're going to Chattanooga, or sorry, that little corner of Georgia, into Alabama, uh, down to Fort Payne, if Emily wants to give a... Uh, but down into Fort Payne, into an area that's called Sand Mountain, is what, in, in the article I read, said most people from Alabama call it Sand Mountain. But it's all one, one big piece of land. And the reason I bring that up is, and I've told most, I can pretty much tell you this, most stories I tell about the outdoors, about caving, of me growing up, all took place in the same area. Uh, between Cookville and Knoxville, this... Uh, big area and there's a lot of geological features. Some of you that have uh, been up to some of those state parks, whether it's Burgess Falls or Fall Creek Falls, uh, some of those incredible waterfalls, Rutledge Falls, all of that stuff there, um, Savage Gulf, all of those state parks in Tennessee, that's, it's all that same area, that same kind of geological feature in that same area. It's, it's an incredible and it's a beautiful area. What, why that's important uh, for the purpose of this story is, uh, in that geological feature, in that geological area, there are caves everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And my dad, as most of y'all can imagine, had this obsession with how many of those caves could he go into, but then also not just how many could he go into, how many did nobody know about that he could go into? What were the undiscovered or the unexplored caves or, or any records of unexplored? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, that desire he instilled in me and I struggle with it. The beauty is in 2023, there's a thing called YouTube. And if you have that, most of you probably don't have that desire, but there's actually a lady on YouTube, it's called Tag Caver. Tag stands for Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia. Look her up and you can go on these adventures with her. Uh, her and David Parrish would have been very good friends. Uh, but she goes to all of these caves and does a great job documenting it. And so when I have that urge, that's what I do, is I go and I watch her go through caves in Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. It's a, it's a fascinating uh, YouTube channel that my dad would have been addicted to uh, had he, if he was still alive. Uh, but those, those caves kind of were, were an important part of, of his life, important part of my life. 
And so this, the story that I'm gonna tell y'all happened when I was about 10 years old. One of his coworkers, if I remember this all correctly, one of his coworkers had told him that he knew about a cave that was on some farm. And so I go out there with my dad. There was another person with us. I don't know if it was the landowner or his coworker, but there was another person that I didn't know with us. We go out and we go out to this, this farm. And if, if you've ever been to any of these caves or, or have seen property even around here where it have similar caves, if it's farming land, it's just an open field and then you'll see this bunch of trees. And farmers usually will plant trees around these sinkholes because they don't want their animals to fall in the sinkhole because they can't get out. There's plenty of sinkholes that I've been in where you find remains of farm animals. And so they'll plant trees around them and then they put barbed wire around that to keep the animals from falling in the hole. And so we were out in this field somewhere, I don't know where we were, somewhere up there on the Cumberland Plateau and we're going along, we find the sinkhole, we go down. We go down in the sinkhole and we get about a hundred yards in. And remember, I'm 10 years old. I, I have, you know, I've got four years of experience under my belt at this point. I was a very well established caver by the time I was 10. That was sarcasm, but I, I knew what I was doing. And so we go into this cave and we go, we'll go about a hundred yards in and we turn. And remember, my dad's never been in this cave. I don't know if the person with us has ever been in this cave, but we go around this corner and I come face to face with the greatest fear that I didn't know I had. And that was an entire wall of bats. Now I grew up around bats. The caves that I grew up going to, all of them had bats. But when I grew up around bats, you'd see one, two here, maybe you know, one or two hanging around. It wasn't a big deal. This wall was completely, like it came, you know, it curved up and it was just, in my mind, you know, there were probably 50 to 100. In my mind, there were 50 million to 100 million. I mean, there were more, if you grew up in the world of Scooby-Doo, like remember in the opening when they like run out and all those bats are chasing them? That's what was, that's what I thought, like that's the next thing that's gonna happen. Like they're going to come out and we're gonna have to run out of this cave with a hundred million bats chasing us out. And this all, this is all going into my mind. So I just said to my dad, nope, I'm out, I'm done. And my dad said, John, you know the rules. Now, here are the caving rules. Every time we go caving, and I've, I've probably told y'all this before because a lot of times these kind of come into play when I tell caving stories, but my dad would give the same speech every time we went to a cave. And the speech would be something like this. I've done it a hundred times. He's done it a thousand times. Uh, but the, the speech would be something like this. You'd go through, you explain to somebody that if somebody needs a hand, this is how you grab their hand. You don't grab their hands like this. You grab their wrist. So if they let go, you're still holding on to them because that happens. Uh, and so you go through that whole thing. My dad would go through because he usually took scouts and the seventh through like eighth grade boy is not the most careful boy in the world. I don't know if y'all know that. Uh, so he would have to kind of go through the whole speech of like, in his language, don't be squirrely, uh, like behave. If you get hurt, you get hurt. The rock's not going to apologize. So he had this whole speech. The, before there was leave no trace, my dad would give that speech, uh, you know, leave only, or leave only footprints, take only pictures, and in caving also take garbage that other people left behind. And so he would go through this whole speech. But part of the speech, when he got down to the end of it, was this. If you get scared 
or freaked out. If your light goes out, this is before LED headlamps, this was back when you had like D-cell flashlights that lasted two hours. If your light goes out, so if you get scared, freaked out, if your light goes out, if you get separated from the group, like if you start going slow and the people in front of you, there becomes this gap between you. Or if you just stop and you can't go any farther, this whole thing, this whole list of things that happened, there's one response. Do you know what that response is? Stop and sit down and call for help. Stop, sit down, and call for help. Because what people do is, in those moments, they get separated or they get freaked out and they're like, ah, and then they run to catch up with the group and they fall in a hole and we never see them again. That never happened. But that was what he would say. So if you ever get freaked out, and there have been plenty of times, we actually, I took a, a group through a cave uh, and it's a, um, somebody that was somewhat famous out of Nashville. His mother had a complete meltdown and I had to give her the same speech. You're just gonna sit there. We're gonna go through this cave. We'll be back in a couple hours. But you and your flashlight, you just sit there and we'll come back and get you. Nine times out of 10, do you know what happens? Well, I'm not staying here by myself. And so they'll end up going with you. So my dad, rewind back to being 10 years old. My dad said to me, you know the rules. Sit right there. I'll come back and get you. And I know my dad probably thought, John's never gonna go for it. He's just gonna be like, no, I'm going with you. That day I went for it. I was like, no problem. I'm gonna back myself away from these bats and I'm gonna sit down and I'll wait here. So my dad and stranger man went on. They went through the cave and I sat there for probably a good 15 to 20 minutes. But again, I'm 10 years old, probably at the most at this point. I thought it was like five or six hours. And I had decided in my head that my dad had gone back in the cave, this man had killed him, and they were dead and the cave had collapsed in on them. Like everything that could possibly happen. And I, I remember, this sounds so silly. I remember sitting there thinking like, what am I gonna tell mom about how dad died? How am I gonna get home? Cause I'm in random farm in Tennessee. Like these were the things I was processing. Now I know it sounds absolutely silly, but I tell you that because what I wanted at that moment as a child was to know that my dad was there. And he wasn't. And, and I know that those responses seem silly. But my question for you this morning is how many times in life have you had those moments where you've stopped, you've sat down, and you've gone through the issues? Where you've felt alone and scared where you have felt hopeless, where you have felt lost, where you felt abandoned, where you felt there was no way out, and what you know more than anything else is that God is not with you. That what you want more than anything else is for God to walk around the corner and say, hey, I'm right here, it's all good, and he won't do it. How many times have you prayed those prayers and those prayers just go up to heaven and you know that there's no one listening to them, there's no one hearing them? How many times have you been in those moments where you are absolutely convinced? I'm, I'm by myself. This is too hard. This is too much. 
I'm here by myself. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of those moments when you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is not with you. That God isn't present. That God isn't there. That there's no way that if God was present that this could be happening. There's no way that there's someone actually listening to your prayers and you've just felt alone. Has there ever been those moments where you've opened up this Bible because you say, well, if I feel like God's not here, then if I read scripture, then I'm going to feel like God is here. And you open up the Bible and guess what? It doesn't help. We've all been there. All of us have been through those moments. And so the first thing I want you to hear this morning is you aren't alone. That we've all been through that. We've all been scared, we've all been alone, or we've all felt like we're alone. We've all felt like our prayers have gone nowhere. Every single one of us have done that. But here's the thing. If we flip back at the beginning of our Bibles, we read a story that we all know very well. We all know these passages. In the beginning was the word, or sorry, that's John. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Empty darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light was good. And we can continue reading through this story God saw, or God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and the dry land appear. And it was so God called the dry land earth and gathering the water he called seas and God saw that it was good. The earth produced vegetation and seedling and plants according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit and seed accordance with their kinds and God saw that it was good. God said, let there be lights in the expanse in the sky to rule the day and the night and separate light from darkness and God saw that it was good. God created large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds and God saw that it was good. Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl, wildlife, bats. I added that. According to their uh, kind and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He created male and female. God blessed them. And God saw all that he had made. And God said, it was very good. This this is the story of creation. This is the story of how everything began. And it was good. And God stops looks back at everything he created, and God doesn't just proclaim it was good, God proclaims it was very good. It's very good. Now, there's something about our story of creation that we hold to as Christians. If you were to talk to somebody that's uh, not a believer or someone Uh, that would claim or would know a lot about kind of ancient myths. They would tell you, you know, your Genesis story that y'all say is very similar to the pagan stories that we have in the world. 
And there's a lot of Christians that would upset and make upset. I'll tell you, don't get upset by that. Their statement is true. Our story is similar, but our story is different. And how our story is different is they think they have this gotcha moment. It's not a gotcha moment. Our story is very different. The difference comes in that in the pagan stories, the pagan stories are covered up with violence. There's no goodness in those stories. Because, see, the pagan gods, they don't care about you. The pagan gods want something from you. And so the story of the pagan gods that we see throughout history is a story that says that they want something. They want you to create a temple. And in creating a temple, you go and offer sacrifices. Why would you offer sacrifices? Because you don't want the pagan gods to curse you. You want them to bless you. And so life becomes about going to the temple, making a sacrifice so that the pagan god doesn't curse you, but blesses you so that you have children, that your crops grow. All of those things happen. You want them to take care of you. You want gods to be able to take care of us, but our story is not that story. Our story repeats over and over and over the same line. And it was good. Because in our story, God creates the world on purpose. In our story, God creates the world on purpose and in love, providing for it, caring for it, and calling it very good. In our story, God doesn't just create the world, but God creates you and me. And God calls it very good, providing for it, caring for it, and calling you very good. In our story, God's temple is not something that we created, but God's temple is something that he created. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not this church. God's temple is this world. And God's very own temple is this world, and it's where he dwells with humanity. We're going to see how this kind of comes into play in just a little bit. But in the story in Genesis, we call this the garden, where God lives in relationship with his creation. This world is God's temple, and when it's his temple, he dwells there with humanity. Why do we dwell with God on earth? It's because God resides in a relationship with us here. Our story is very different than the pagan story. Because our story isn't motivated by violence. Our story is motivated by love, relationship, residing, dwelling together. So what happens in our story when we get through the story and we begin kind of moving through, we get to John's gospel and what does John tell us in his gospel? John starts off, in the beginning was the word, the logos. The word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created in him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. We can jump down to verse 10. 
He was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be a part of the family. To not live in a world of blessing and curses, but to live in a world of family. To be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but people that were born of God. And and then here's the verse. And the word became flesh. And did what? The, The word, and we've talked about this before, it literally tabernacled or pitched his tent among us, dwelt among us. John and John's gospel does this incredible thing of tying creation to Jesus, to us, to say, God has created this out of love and his purpose of all of this is to be with you, to dwell with you, to be in a huge campground and to put their tent right next to yours, to be with us. And John goes on and says, we've observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is a good story, isn't it? But the story, as we know, doesn't end in John's gospel. We can continue on into the story, into Revelation. And um, as we go into Revelation, we'll just kind of pull the story to a close. And it's a little tempting not to read this part of the story because it's coming forward, but I don't want you to miss what's going on in the story. So we get to Revelation chapter 21, and John is seeing this vision, and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2, then I also saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying what? Look, where does God live? With us. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and they will be his God. He will give or they will, or he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain. And I think John would allow us to probably add some other pieces to this sermon and to this passage. The loneliness, the fear, the abandonment, all of those things will be no more. Because previous things have passed away. The one who is seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God. And he will be what? My family, my child my son. This is where we usually kind of stop in this passage. 
but it's a passage that tells us that God's dwelling place is with humanity, humanity from the very beginning of the story to the very end of the story. Where does God want to dwell? With us. God's dwelling place, his temple is with us. But the temple language doesn't end there. It continues on into the next piece. Verse 22, we can skip right down. I did not see a temple in it. So there's a new heaven, there's a new earth. And John said, but there's a problem. There is no temple. Where are we going to go to worship God if there is no temple? Great question. There's no temple in it because of the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need a sun or a moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. The lamb, the lamb is, sorry, the lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. Hopefully, y'all have heard the Genesis language and what is going on in Revelation. That all of these things that are going on, that God's going to bring all of them to completion. But what I want you to hear this morning is where is God in all of this? He's with us. He is present. He is living with us. So last week, the first axiom we looked at is God is love, so it's all about love. Now, I hope you're going to see this morning that as we go through these, these will build upon each other. A lot of this sermon I could have preached last week talking about God's love. It all ties together. But this week, we're going to take it a little bit of a different direction. So God is love, so it's all about love. The second axiom, which is what we're talking about today, is God is always present and at work. The story of creation is a story that reminds us God is always present. From the very beginning, God desired to be with us. His dwelling place is with you. It is with me. The Bible is a story that tells us the beauty of this truth that reminds us what is going on. So let's do this. Let's take a moment and let's go back to the cave. You're sitting alone, scared, lost, helpless, hopeless, trying to figure out what to do next, listening for that sound that will remind you that maybe Maybe, maybe your father is present. Maybe he's coming there. But we're alone. We're scared. It's dark. What, what do we do? Well, the first thing is, is we go back to the first rule of caving. What's the first rule of caving? If your light goes out, if you get lost, if you get separated, if you just plain old freak out, what do you do? You stop. You sit down. I think for some of us, that's where this all starts for us. Maybe the light has gone out. Maybe we are a little freaked out. Maybe we do feel alone. Maybe we do feel helpless. And what we need to hear is that the first piece of this is just to stop. 
to sit down. That's where it starts. And as we stop and we sit down, maybe the next step is is that we need to start with a reminder of God's presence in your life. You see, for me, being someone who uh, has lost both of their parents now, there are times that I don't feel my parents' presence. And so in our basement, we have this book. My dad desired to find the biggest book he could possibly find. And here it is. It says earnings records on it. It's not earnings records. But those of you that are a little older know what this is, don't you? It's, it's a photo album. And there's great pictures in here. Here's me in New Orleans playing in the water in just my underwear. You may like to see it. There's a picture up here in the front of my mom with curlers in her hair, and she's wearing a shower cap asleep on the sofa, and me laying on top of her asleep. She'd be very happy if I showed that to you all. But I go back through these, and this is a reminder to me of my parents' presence. In some ways, though when my dad put these pictures in this huge photo album, he probably wasn't thinking about it at the time. But in so many ways, it's a love letter. It's a love letter to his family, to his children, to his wife. And so I think the first thing we do is we stop, we sit down, but I think the next thing we need to do is to start with a reminder of God's presence in our lives. And the beauty is, is we have those photo albums, or those of us that are a little bit older have those photo albums. But we also have that reminder as people of faith in this book, don't we? But see, the problem with this book is, is sometimes we say, well, you know, Pastor, the Bible is a rule book, and it tells us things that we're not supposed to do. There's, yeah, there's, there's a piece of that. But bigger than that, it, it's, it's a love letter. It, it's a love letter that was written to you by your father. That, that reminds us that when we don't feel their presence, that he's there. And so we read those incredible passages like Psalm 31, or 139. And we can turn to those passages. And I just want you to hear these words whenever I find where Psalms is. There it is. We read these incredible words to remind us in those moments when we feel most afraid, in those moments when we are most alone, we read these words, Lord, I have searched, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty and I am unable to reach it. It's a story of intimacy. It's a story of God knowing David 
beyond anything that David could imagine. But it's not just David's story, it's our story. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield in the darkest, loneliest places, the caves filled with bats, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down in the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light all around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day and the darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb and I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. You see, I can flip through that photo album and it's a story and it's a love story of how much my parents loved their children and loved me. And those of us that have children, we know how much we love our children. And this morning, we need to be reminded sometimes that as much as you love your children, as much as your parents loved you, God's love is so much deeper and bigger and so much more beautiful. That God knows us on this intimate level and God is there and is present with us. So the third thing that we need to do is to remind, us of, remind yourselves of the times when you didn't feel God's presence, only to walk down the road a little ways and to look back and to see him there. In my office, I have something that means nothing to anybody outside of me. It's not really worth anything. It's a geode. If you don't know, that's just a rock that has pretty things inside of it. It's worthless, it's just a rock. Do you know where this geode came from? A cave, one afternoon, that my dad carried out of one of those green Vietnam duffel bags. The day that I thought he wasn't coming out of that cave, he came out, and this was with him. It was just a rock that we took home and took on the driveway and he got out a sledgehammer and we broke it open. It's a reminder to me. It's a reminder of an experience that we had, but it's also a reminder to me that as much in that moment that I didn't think he was coming back, he was there the whole time. He was present. And sometimes we need to be reminded in our own lives that there are moments that we don't feel God's presence. There are moments that we have all felt alone. We've all been there. You're not weird. You're not strange. We have all been there. But to be reminded that in those moments, God was working. In those moments that God did show up, that God did work. Lastly, know that God is present. 
that God is working. And what God is doing is more beautiful than what you can imagine. Let me just give you kind of one more example of this. Y'all know that I, I love John's gospel. And as we talk about the Bible being a love letter, sometimes we miss the beauty of what is happening. We've gone through and we've read the story of Genesis and there are scholars who would say that if you look at John's gospel, and I've told you some of these things before, there's all different ways to read John's gospel. And there are scholars that say one way that you could read it is John's entire gospel is retelling the creation story that he's going through. And I, I would argue, uh, like when we've gone through Matthew, if you look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel is retelling the story of the Exodus. People argue John's gospel is retelling the story of creation. So we just went through the story of creation. Y'all remember, as we go through those days, do you remember what day God created man? Remember? The sixth day. On the sixth day, God created man. What day of the week, if we're going to put days of the week on it, what day of the week would that be in the Jewish calendar? This is a little bit of a trick question. So Saturday would be the first day of, would be, day, so we're going from sixth day of the week would be Thursday going into Friday. Okay. So we get to the end of John's gospel and we can turn to the end of John's gospel. When we get to John chapter 19, John chapter 19, if you remember Jesus, uh, we, we start off all the way back at chapter 13, Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We go through all of this transition from chapter 13 into chapter 19. John goes, or Jesus goes to the house of Caiaphas, then he meets with Pilate. And when we talked about truth, we talked about that passage. Then we get in, that was chapter 18. We get into chapter 19. So if, if we are following along in John's gospel, and if we're following along and we're saying, this is John retelling the story of creation. What happened on the sixth day of creation? Man was created. Here we are on what we could say is the sixth day of creation. Jesus comes out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate says to him, some of your translations will say, behold the man. Here, here's, here's man. On the sixth day, what did God create? Man. Pilate says, here's the man. Now, some of you are like, well, pastor, that's reaching a little bit. Okay. Well, if we flip back to Genesis, do y'all remember what the punishment was for the fall? After they sinned, God says to them, where are you? And then God has this conversation. He says to the man, this is in chapter three, he says to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. Okay? Then he says, it will produce, y'all know what it says? Thorns. It will produce thorns. And Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns. Now, the reason I tell you this is because our Bibles, 
and I think y'all know this, and hopefully you know that I believe this, they are more beautiful than we could ever imagine. And John is telling us a story of God's presence and God's desire for us that goes all the way back to creation. This story that he's telling us is a story that is way more beautiful than anything we could imagine. But what I want you to hear about that story this morning is, is that this story is a story of God seeking you of God being present in your life. Through all of these pieces, through this beautiful story, is a story of God's presence with you. We need to stop, sit down, and remember that this story is way more beautiful than you could ever imagine. That God is our Father and he is providing for you, seeking you, hearing you more than we could ever imagine. So the bottom line of the second axiom is this, that God is present, actively working among us right now and always. Do we believe that? That God is present, actively working among us, right now and always. As Barry read for us earlier, in the Great Commission, what does Jesus remind us? And I will be with you now and for all eternity. I am with you. God is here and actively working right now and always. This is not a nice idea to make us feel better, though I hope it does, because it should but it is the bedrock reality of the universe. From creation to the end, we hear the same story over and over again. That God is present, that God is working, that God calls it good, very good. And that God is seeking relationship with us. It is the bedrock reality of the universe. And it is the truest thing about the world. This morning as we close, my hope and my prayer is that we take those four things. In the moments in our lives, some of us are in the middle of them right now. Some of you might not be in the middle of it. But in those moments when we feel alone, in those moments when we don't think God is present, we don't think God is active, we don't think God is listening to your prayers, that no one cares, that we stop. We sit down. With, we remind ourselves of God's presence in your life, whether we feel it or not that we take the opportunity to see in our lives where God showed himself, where God was working in the past when we went through these moments before. And that we have faith and trust in knowing that God is working, that he is present. And whatever it is he's doing, whether we see it or not, it is more beautiful than we could ever imagine.
This morning, as we close, for some of us, we might just need to find a place to stop. We, we might have lost sight of what that means. We might have lost sight that God is working. And maybe we just need to find a place. A place to kneel, a, pray, a place to pray, a place to stop, to sit down. This morning as we go to prayer, uh, if you would like to be anointed for healing, uh, f- spiritual, physical, emotional, I'll be down at this altar. But if you would like to find just a place to pray, I just invite you to come. If you just need a place to stop and just say all of this stuff going on, I just need a place to stop. I just invite you to come and find a place. Say, God, I, I need to be reminded of your presence in my life. It is the truest thing in the world. He is with you. Let us stand as we sing.